Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time covering the business week ended 28th May 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This time, a preview of the ASCO meeting, small biopharma companies thrive in the US, the world's first positive phase 3 data for a microbiome therapy, Adaptimmune's plans for its T-cell receptor therapy, and Novo looks at semaglutide in early Alzheimer's. This year's American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting is set to take place virtually from 4th to 8th of June, and while many abstracts have now been released for this year's conference, Alex Shimmings takes a sneak peek at what is still under wraps, with five of the key late-breaking presentations due to be presented at the plenary session and with input from Biomed Tracker and Data Monitor Healthcare. In the session, Chinese firm Shanghai Junqi Biosciences will reveal the first numerical results from the Jupiter O2 trial of its anti-PD-1 antibody Toripalamib in frontline nasopharyngeal cancer. Toripalamib was the first domestically developed PD-1 to be approved in China back in 2018 for melanoma, the less prevalent cancer type in the country, and was approved in April this year for bladder cancer. A significant new commercial opportunity could also open up for AstraZeneca's Limpaza on the back of the Olympia study, the first numerical data from which will be presented in a plenary session at ASCO. Meanwhile, the plenary session will also feature the first proper look at the data from Novartis's Phase 3 vision study of its prostate-specific membrane antigen-directed radiopharmaceutical lutetium-177-LU-PCMA-617 in PSMA-positive metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer patients. The study is comparing lutetium in combination with investigator-chosen best standard of care against standard of care alone. And in March, Novartis disclosed that the primary endpoints of improved progression-free survival and overall survival had been achieved in a much-needed boost to its pipeline. Merck Co. will also report the first quantitative results from the Keynote 564 Phase 3 trial evaluating post-operative Keytruda in locally advanced renal cell carcinoma, while BMS plans to reveal the first quantitative results from Checkmate 648 following an earlier announcement the Phase 3 trial in first-line esophageal squamous cell carcinoma had reached its co-primary endpoints of PFS and OS. More small biopharma companies are developing and launching their own drugs in the US. Emerging biopharma companies originated and launched 40% of all new drugs in 2020, a significant increase compared with 5-10 to 10 years ago, according to IQVIA Institute's Global Trends in R&D report. Jessica Merrill writes that, historically, larger pharma companies buy late-stage drugs or buy companies altogether before their drugs get to market, but increasingly smaller drug developers are going to market independently. That traditional pattern is largely changed in recent years, with the last three years having 40% of new active substances originated and launched by emerging biopharma companies, IQVIA said in the report, which was released on 19th of May. IQVIA defines emerging biopharma companies as those with less than $500 million in sales and less than $200 million in R&D spend per year. Furthermore, the number of new active substances that launched in 2020 developed by an emerging pharma company but launched by a bigger pharma declined to only 12%, the lowest level in at least 10 years. 
In 2015, that number was 31%. Several factors are driving the change that has occurred over the last few years, including the well-capitalised market for biotech companies and the fact that new drug launches are increasingly targeted to niche therapeutic areas, including rare diseases and rare cancers that don't require huge commercial scale. The trend appears poised to continue in 2021. Ferring has presented more detailed data from the world's first positive phase 3 trial of a microbiome therapy, RBX2660, showing it can safely reduce recurrences of C. difficile infection, or CDI. The privately owned Swiss company announced that the 267-patient PUNCH CD3 trial with the drug, developed by US firm Rebiotics, which was acquired by Ferring in 2018, was a success over a year ago but has now presented the results at the Digestive Disease Week meeting. Kevin Grogan reports the data show the non-antibiotic therapy administered by Enema, which consists of an intestinal preparation that restores the balance of microbes that is typically disrupted by antibiotic use, demonstrated significant superior efficacy versus placebo, 70.4% compared with 58.1% at 8 weeks post-treatment and with a comparable safety profile. RBX2660 provided a relative reduction of recurrence of 29.4% compared with placebo. Fering also presented an interim analysis from the PUNCH CD3 open-label study, which showed positive efficacy and consistent safety with RBX2660 for up to six months. The expanded inclusion criteria allowed for enrolment of patients with CDI typically seen in clinical practice, the company stated. Some 75% of participants whose treatment outcomes could be analysed were free of CDI at 8 weeks. Among patients who also reached 6-month follow-up, 74% remained symptom-free. Rebiotics has been working on the project since 2011 and claims to have put together the largest and most robust clinical programme ever conducted in the field of microbiome-based therapeutics, including 6 trials involving more than 1,000 patients. With the potential to become the first to win US FDA approval for a T-cell therapy in a solid tumour indication, Adaptimmune Therapeutics is already thinking about how to commercialise a product, the T-cell receptor therapy, Afamitrezgene or Telucel. But while the initial focus will be on the tiny market for synovial sarcoma, the firm has its eye on potentially much larger markets. The company said on 19th May that it would report initial data from the pivotal Phase 2 Spearhead 1 trial with the therapy, which was formerly known as ADP-A2-M4, in an oral presentation at the ASCO annual meeting on 4th June. The company said it plans to pursue a regulatory filing in synovial sarcoma in 2022. The other potential contender to be first to market with a T-cell therapy in solid tumours is Iovance Biotherapeutics. However, that company disclosed on 18th May that the US FDA had requested extra data for Lifilucel, the tumour-infiltrating lymphocyte therapy it's developing for metastatic melanoma. The latest setback means the company plans to file its BLA to the FDA in the first half of 2022, after having already delayed the filing from the originally planned 2020. Iovance and us are sort of running neck and neck at this point about who's going to have the first T-cell therapy on the market that's in a solid tumour setting, Adaptimmune CEO Adrian Rawcliffe told Scripps Alaric Diarment. At the 29th March data cut-off in the Adaptimmune trial, 
37 patients had received a famicel, including 32 with synovial sarcoma and 5 with myxoid round cell liposarcoma, or MRCLS. In the synovial sarcoma cohort, the overall response rate for the 29 patients was 41.4%. That included 2 who achieved complete responses, 10 with partial responses, 13 with stable disease and 4 who progressed. One of the four patients with MRCLS responded. The response rate that we're seeing is clearly superior to what's currently available, and then this data largely replicates what we saw in the phase 1 study in a cohort of 16 patients with synovial sarcoma, Adaptimmune Chief Medical Officer Elliot Norrie told Scrip. He was referring to data that were presented at the Connective Tissue Oncology Society's 2020 annual meeting last November. And it continues to have us on a pathway to being able to register this product for use with a BLA submission in 2022 and then launch as soon as able after approval, he said. It's very clearly our intent to ultimately register this product for both synovial sarcoma and myxoid round cell liposarcoma. Finally, amid increasing evidence of a potential therapeutic role for glucagon-like peptide 1 in treating dementia, Nova Nordisk has launched a phase 3 trial investigating the benefits of oral semaglutide in early Alzheimer's disease. Earlier studies have suggested GLP-1 agonists can reduce neuroinflammation, leading to improved cognition and function. The study enrolled its first patient on 18th of May and aims to assess semaglutide, a once-daily type 2 diabetes drug, at 14 mg dosing in patients with early Alzheimer's for up to 173 weeks, with an estimated completion date of September 2025. Some 1,840 patients are expected to take part in the trial. Nova launched the drug as Ribelsus, the first oral GLP-1, in late 2019. Semaglutide has a number of other potential indications as well. It's also now in a phase 3 trial in fatty liver disease as a monotherapy, and Novo announced plans at its Q1 update for a phase 3a trial in the second half of 2021 in obesity. Veteran scientist Lottie Bier-Nudsen, who was responsible for inventing Novo's initial once-daily injectable GLP-1 product Victoza, which is lyraglutide, believes semaglutide may prove to be a game-changer in dementia. I think Alzheimer's disease is becoming redefined to be a much more complex disease than we have seen before, and I think GLP-1s look increasingly able to address that because we already know that GLP-1 has multiple effects, she told Scrip. We've seen that in treating diabetes or obesity or cardiovascular disease or kidney disease, and that's also the case with Alzheimer's. GLP-1 is produced in the brain and functions as a neurotransmitter, studies have shown. Novo thinks that inhibiting it in patients with mild Alzheimer's could block both metabolic and inflammatory mechanisms, which could be driving the cognitive decline seen in such patients. Improving blood circulation in the body might also play an important role, Nudsen said. We now have data showing that GLP-1 has an effect on multiple pathways that are relevant for Alzheimer's disease. There's increasing literature available showing how having a much better functioning vasculature will lead to improvements in the brain, she said. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, don't forget to sign in to access these stories in full, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and to access much more digital content. If you don't yet subscribe, you can see what you're missing by registering for a free month's trial on the site. Bye for now.